0: Christmas time. I love getting together with believers who love Christmas time. It's great. Amen. Why don't you greet a couple of people as you take your seat? wonderful to be in church on a beautiful hazy smoke-filled Sunday and um, I must admit I am a little bit over the smoke but that's okay I can still breathe I'm still alive and I'm gonna still rejoice is that true and yeah, I love it and um, I've had a really good week a really supportive week and a really great week of knowing what God is on to and I've been really blessed um, Seen some people who I've been working with for a long time begin to respond What I mean by that is people have been reaching out to with the love of God, beginning to acknowledge the love of God, which is great and um, something I don't ever want to stop doing. And I just want to share a little bit of a word with you um, about that, because I love church and I love our churches. Uh, Last week, Naomi and I were at Hawkesbury, and then the week before that, I was actually away with a bunch of young men camping, fishing um, for a mentoring program. The week before that, I was out at Oberon, and again, I got to see what God is doing out there, and He's doing great things. I love our church because what I am seeing between it, and Joe—Joe just highlighted that with the church that she has out there at um, Oberon, the love amongst one another. Jesus actually said this, you will know that you, everyone will know that you are my disciples by the love you show one another, and I'm, I'm loving that seeing it everywhere and um, when I visit Mountains Church as well I see that love up there as well and I can't help but think that this thing that Abraham got promised many years ago I will make you a great nation that word great what does it mean what does it mean to be a great nation I believe I'm beginning to see it within people's lives within the churches that we get to experience life with and um, I've got to tell you thank you thank you thank you for being the church that I believe God is actually forming and uh, it takes time but it's great I want to share with you a a passage of scripture I think last time I preached here I shared you this passage about descending into greater in Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 7 oh got to send out the kids that's what that's why you're standing there I thought you were just giving me a welcome okay kids guess what it's time Out to champions, out to heroes. I reckon it's got to be a year since I forgot to do that. It's got to be, mainly because I'm usually not the one doing it. (laughs) Probably the last time I did it was the time, yeah, anyway. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7 is a great example of what I call descending into greatness. What does a greater church look like? Let's read it. And consider the example that Jesus the anointed one has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. I love that. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God at his supreme price, as his supreme price. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. Verse 10 says this, Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. Wow. What does it mean for a church to be greater? What does it mean? I believe in order to be greater, I think we need to descend into greatness. Jesus, the darling of heaven, the rose of Sharon, the great one, that God himself. So do you know what? I'm going to descend to become a human. Not only a human. I'm going to become a servant. Not only a servant. I'm going to die. Wow! He became a mortal martyr, if you like, from God. How did he, do it? he descended into greatness? And today, I don't want to think. I, I don't think descending necessarily means going lower. I actually think it means going deeper. And I think as a church, I feel like God's calling us to go deeper. And next year, I want to share a lot more about that. But today, I want to share what I think God wants for our church, a real practical outworking of what it means for a greater church to go deeper. Is that cool? Anyone ever heard of the story of Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth. If I have another son, Alan, I think I'm going to call him Mephibosheth. What nicknames would you get out of that? (laughs) (laughs) Phoebe. Phoebe, that's true. Heth. uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. King David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Saul was the previous king of Israel, and Saul's son was named Jonathan, and Jonathan happened to be David's best mate. And he had a yearning in his heart. He said, I want to show kindness because Saul and Jonathan had now been killed in battle, both of them. So there is no. Um, king of Israel David becomes king they anoint him king and all of a sudden he turns around even though Saul wanted to kill David and chased him for years to kill him he turns around and says I want to show kindness is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake Saul's old servant Zeba turns around and says there's Mephibosheth you see Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son And he was only around about five years old, they think, when Jonathan was killed. And when Saul and Jonathan were killed, the the servants, Ziba, actually thought, do you know what? Mephibosheth is in danger. And they went to rush him out of the house. And as they did, they dropped him on his head. They dropped him. And it caused him to be lame for the rest of his life. We don't know whether he could walk or not, but he was definitely lame. Pretty tragic story. Especially in a time of age where if you were disabled, you were considered immoral especially in an age where if you were disabled, you were not allowed to be part of society. He was in line to be king and he ended up being broken and outside of humanity and put away. Let's read on. So David says, hey, go get him. I want to see Mephibosheth. Verse six to eight. Then Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Significant. You will always eat at my table. I love that music playing in the background. It's great. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Wow. Wow. What is your servant that you would notice a dead dog like me? How did he feel about himself? How did he view himself? He's broken. He doesn't feel as though he has any hope. But yet David says, I want you to eat around my table. I want you to eat around my table. He got full acceptance. Brought him around the table and restored to him. Let's read on, verse 9 and 10. Then the king summoned Ziba. Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servant are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's son may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. What an amazing story. Here we have a story of a broken man, fully restored, fully restored, but also sitting around the table. I believe what I like to notice is when you come to sit around table, you're family. You're considered family. And it says here in verse 13, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he, was all, because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. He got to sit around the table of David, considered part of David's family. I believe God sees a lot of people who are broken, I believe God notices many out there and he's looking around thinking, is there anyone whom I can show kindness to? Because God has a table and we happen to sit around that table as sons and daughters of the living God, co-heirs with Christ, Romans 8 tells us, that we are considered sons, adopted children of God. And when you look at where he said that, he said it to the Roman Greco, Greco world, which means adopted son is actually closer than a biological son because they were actually chosen. The biological son wasn't chosen. For God to actually say, you are my adopted children, says that we are close, we get to sit around his table. But not only that, also comes the restoration which God has. And Saul's son or grandson was restored to him everything that was given to him. God wants every person at his table. In fact, Right from the very beginning, God's plan was to establish family on planet Earth, and He wanted everyone to be part of His family. Every human being. And I, I think that's what church should represent, don't you? So many people think church should be more like a corporation. I don't think it should be. I think it should be more like a family. The problem is, corporations have neat lines, and you know where you fit in departmentalization. Families don't have neat lines. Have you noticed they can be quite messy? But i sort of love the mess in one sense i love the messy tables on a monday night we have family dinner and sometimes it can get very loud with lots of laughter when it's not loud i'm sort of a bit worried and then the kids are in there and they're you know throwing food and what have you and it's messy but i love the table i love the table i love it when we gather around we don't have to agree we just sit around the table together we don't have to always be happy We can sit through very difficult times, but we still come around the table. God has a table, and He wants every person on planet Earth to sit around His table. Just like He wanted Mephibosheth to come around David's table. He wants every person. In fact, I think I might have said this to you before. There's a little phrase I heard, and I really loved it. This little phrase, says, Those whom God misses most. And do you know why? He wants them around his table. He misses them. There's a whole bunch of people who we don't know or do know, and they're all out there somewhere. They are the ones whom God misses most. Mitchy doesn't miss you. God knows you. He's with you. You talk to him regularly. He talks to you. He doesn't miss you. But there's many whom he misses most. And he wants them around his table. I know a young man. In fact, this year has been a very interesting year for me. Um, There's four people who have really struck uh, my attention big time. One of them is a young man. We'll call him Mephibosheth. This young man, he's 15 years old. And um, I've never, ever seen anyone with a case of ADHD like this young man. Um, He can't sit still. In fact, how I met him was in the principal's office at Windsor High School. And he just pulled a door off a hinge and beat the door up, as you do. I said to him, who won the fight? He said, oh, I did. I said, no, nah. next week the door will be here and you won't be. And he laughed. He got suspended for a long time on that one. But I found out a bit of his history because I'm the school chaplain there and I found out a bit of his history. And um, he actually doesn't know his parents. He knows of them. Um, he's never seen dad at all. Mum is actually an ice addict and was an ice addict while he was in Neutro. He was born to an ice addict, addicted to ice himself. His his, um, foster parents continually threaten him for the last 15 years that they will send him back if he misbehaves. On top of that, he has this, this ADHD at a level where they still can't find the drugs to balance that out. I sit there and I think he's broken i love this kid we've had a few run-ins he's part of our mentoring program but i love this kid my heart breaks for him we're trying to help him out i haven't seen him for a few weeks now because he goes missing every now and then and he's officially been expelled from school at the end of year nine i don't know what next for him all i know is that god wants him around his table loves him well i also met another lady Her name, let's call her Mephibosheth. She's a young mum, she's got two young daughters and um, she's very close to her mother. And her mother died and passed away and and she's the youngest, this this, this lady is the youngest of the family and two older brothers and her two brothers, one's hooked on drugs and the other one just doesn't care. And she has to organise funerals but now these brothers actually want all the possessions that her mother had. And she's in this fight and I sit down and talk to her and she's just in tears. She's an atheist. She's just in tears. And she doesn't know what to do. She's broken. She's in grief, which is beyond measure because her mum was her best friend. She's a good, hardworking lady, this lady. She has a beautiful family, but she is broken. And God wants her around her table. He loves her. He feels the pain. My heart breaks for her every time I talk to her. There's another guy I met. Let's call him Mephibosheth. He has teenage children. In fact, they're getting to the age of just leaving school. About, um, I think it was August this year, he came home and his wife said, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Could you please leave? Now, he hasn't been the perfect father. I've known this guy for a long time hasn't been the perfect husband but he's not a mad he's not a bad man turns out that she's found another guy she'd rather be married to and um, the children also don't really want to hang out with dad much anymore he starts talking to me with tears and he's a tough guy in tears just telling me about his story and doesn't know what to do and he's, he's now living on his own he's very lonely and he's broken he's broken he's a believer he, um, he loves Jesus, but he's not really sown into a church anywhere, And he doesn't know of any answers, but what I do know is the Father wants him around his table. I think you can be a believer who God misses most. And he, if he could just sit around a table, so I have a coffee with him every now and then, and every time this very tough guy who likes to go hunting and all this blokey stuff, just begins to weep and weep and weep, broken. This week, I met another guy whom I've actually known for many years. I, I would have known him for over 20 years. But for the last 15, he's gone missing. I didn't know where he was. He's highly intelligent. He's a very strong man. He's probably in his early 40s now. He, um, he's very successful and wealthy. Anyway, something happened a few years ago where he lets a substance take over his life. And um, end result is he, he actually has to do a course now to get him off that. He's broken. Highly intelligent and very successful man. Sounds like I haven't dug too deep with where he's at yet and just chatting with him. and he, I'm, I'm basically a friend that i just want to reach out to him. But it looks like his marriage is, looks like it's gone, his business might be gone too, and he's broken. He's a believer. He's come back to Christ. But he just needs to sit around God's table. God wants him around his table. His name's Mephibosheth too. I say that these are just people that I've run into. And from where we stand, they all live 10 minutes away, or spend most of their time 10 minutes away from where we stand right here, right now. And I would suggest that if we were all to think about it, we would all have Mephibosheths around us. People who are broken, people who might have made mistakes or just unfortunate things have happened to them. Not perfect people. None of us are perfect. None of us have got it together. I'm definitely not the greatest father or the greatest husband, nor is anyone. This is broken. I sit down and I thought, okay, what does the greatest or a great church do with these people? And I read the story of Mephibosheth and I realized this. He just brings them around his table. Around his table can be found healing. Around his table can be found restoration. Around his table can be found friends who can support. Around his table can be found love acceptance and forgiveness around his table so i encourage church this time of summer or harvest time if you like what a great time to just say why don't you come and sit around my table now we can think metaphorically where we get to have lots of coffees and just chat and reach out through phone calls and stuff or we can think physically practically at dinner time on Christmas morning, or Christmas, most of us are gonna be sitting around a table. I don't know whether many of these four people that I mentioned will be sitting around a table. What if we were to invite them? What about after when we've got more leftovers than we know what to do with? What if we were to say, come and sit around my table and watch cricket together? Yeah. yeah. What if we were to come and just just use these time when over Christmas, where usually we have a little bit more time than what we usually do. Daylight saving, gotta love it. I'm voting for a whole year daylight saving. I don't know if it would work, but anyway. That moment where people can come and sit around your table. Because everyone has brokenness, everyone has issues. And just talking to this, the last Mephibosheth guy this week when I was chatting to him, I was sharing him a little bit of my brokenness. And you see this little rice smile come on his face. And the smile was, "I'm not alone. I'm, I'm not an idiot who blew it. He's got someone who just wants to share with him around the table. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 23. Paul actually says something interesting. And I've labeled this scripture, "How do we bring Mephibosheth to the table? How do we invite someone to the table? How do you bring Mephibosheth? <laughs> <laughs> One Corinthians chapter nine, nineteen. Now, even though I am free from obligations to others, isn't that interesting? Even though I am free from having to do this, right? I joyfully make myself a servant to all in order to win as many converts as possible. I became Jewish to the Jewish people in order to win them to their Messiah or to the Messiah. I became like one under the law to gain the people who were stuck under the law. Even though I myself am not under the law. And to those who are without Jewish laws, I became like them as one without Jewish laws in order to win them. Although I'm not outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, I became weak to the weak, to win the weak. I've adapted to the culture of every place. I've gone so that I could more easily win people to Christ. I've done all this so that I would become God's partner for the sake of the gospel. Now, let me just preempt that by saying, we can't win anyone to Christ. Only God himself can do that. I make a lousy saviour. I'm terrible at it. I can't save anyone. But what I can do is show them what God's love is like. That's the key. And I think that's really what Paul means. He shares the gospel. He shares good news. You know, I remember once I was taught, well, you've got to tell people they're sinners. How is that good news? That's not good news. That's bad news. I think everyone understands that if they're not with God, they they know that they're a sinner. But what we can do is show them how much God loves them. So when he says to win the Jews is to win them around the table. When he says to win the weak is to win them around the table. And then show them how much love God loves them. And maybe, maybe through what the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's role is to convict of sin. He convicts me all the time of sin. That's his role. Maybe these people might say, what is it about your life? What is it? And then we can share some good news even though i was a sinner jesus christ came into my life and washed me clean of every sin as if i've never sinned in my life that's what he did would you like to accept him That's as simple as it gets for the gospel broken people need healing broken people need restoration only jesus can do that you can't do that friend all we can do is be a signpost to jesus christ anyway so how do we bring people whom god misses most to the table how do we do it well i understand four th- or three things about paul that i just wrote down about this i noticed as i read his letters and this is a this this um corinthian letter is very much part of this first thing is this paul understood god's love he understood and if we really want to see the greatness of god within our church, within who we are, how great God can make church. First is, we've got to understand how much God loves. His love is amazing. His love, you know what? Christianity is less about how much you love God and much more about how much He loves you. Because my love for God can go thin or thick depending on how I feel. Depending on how things are going right now. Sometimes I get really cranky with God. It's okay, He can handle it. Sometimes I'm not talking to Him. Because he's upset me. But one thing for sure I can guarantee is his love for me has never, ever gotten thin. It stays thick all the time. He loves me. It's a little poem I love to remember. and I'm going to give it a go. To describe God's love. Could we with ink the oceans fill? And were the sky of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. (laughs) Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That's the love of God. Paul understood how much God loved. And what that does to Paul, it made him want to reach out and be a Jew to the Jew, a weak to the weak, a Greek to the Greek. That's what made it, it wasn't his love for people. If you're waiting for your love for people, you're going to sometimes wait a really long time. But if we look for God's love for people, Paul was the one who wrote, while we were still yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. But that's how he demonstrated his love, he says. Paul understood God's love and how you could never get rid of his love ever. Try it. You can't get rid of it. He will always love you. And he will always love Mephibosheth. He will always love those who have done wrong. He will always love those who have hurt others even. Wow. If God can love them, we can love them. Paul understood that love. It develops a love for people within us when you really understand God's love. I had someone say something pretty... um. Not very nice through a letter the other day. And I thought, oh, that's, that's interesting. And I've got to tell you, this love for people can be a challenge, right? Can be a challenge. I've got to give myself time every now and then. The way to get that love for people is to remember, do you know what, God, I've said worse to you. And you still love me. You still love me. To bring someone around the table, you've got to understand God's love. Because if you do man's love, it's conditional. God's love is not conditional. Next thing I noticed about Paul is that he was always intentional. He didn't just walk along thinking, "I wonder what'll happen here." You read the book of Acts; it talks about his journey. He went to Ephesus because he had an unction within him. He wanted to go, and it was intentional that he went to Ephesus. And then he went to Philippi. Why? Because Philippi. There was no, no church established there, and there needed to be a church established there. So he went to Philippi and met up with Lydia there, who they started this great Philippian church. And he was intentional of what he did. He used his time to look around and think, is there any Mephibosheths around that I can reach out to? Is there anyone here who needs the good news? He rides. I mentioned Ephesus, he rides at Ephesus and finds what they call 12 disciples, disciples of John who understood about God, but they hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit. He spends the next two years with them, teaching them all about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. And it says that within those two years, all of Asia Minor was reached. He was intentional. I think we, at this time, what a great idea for us to be intentional. To look around and notice, is there Mephibosheth anywhere around me that needs a table to sit at? Is there anyone around me that God misses most, whom I could reach out to and say, "Hey, life's not that bad. Can I help you out?" I think that's what the greater church looks like. That's what descending into greatest. You know what? It'll put you out your time. It'll put you out your finances. It might even take a lot of food out of your fridge. But I'll tell you now, that's what Jesus would do. Paul loved. He understood the love of God. He was intentional. And the third thing about it is, Paul understood the power that was within him. He had a power within him. He understood that the Holy Spirit that dwelt in him was a powerful being. And um, at one stage there, you know, all of the apostles, the shadow would touch people and they'd be healed. Isn't that a powerful thing? Wouldn't that be cool? I'd love that. Get a torch and just shine a shadow on someone. That'd be a bit of fun. Do you understand you have the power of God within you? I think one of the greatest challenges of the church is to remember you actually have power. Supernatural power. We in the Western world, we actually don't see that or don't understand that. But if you go to a place like West Africa or Papua New Guinea, they understand supernatural power. They see it all the time. And that power is within you. Can I give an example of that power? As you know, I, 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 on Thursdays I go into Windsor High School as the chaplain there. I call myself the Godfather. I'm the Godfather of Windsor High School. Does that sound cool? And um, I get the honour of sitting in Year Nine English, and I'm pretty sure it's the lowest English class. There's only boys in this class, and they're not doing much learning in that class. The teacher's given it a good crack, but they're very rude. These boys—they're out of control, pretty much. Swearing, throwing things, laughing, joking, fighting it's a very interesting class and I'm sitting there thinking what am I allowed to do because I'd like to throw that kid out the window right now I'm only thinking that I'm not saying it and um (laughs) but I sat in there for a few weeks then I saw them starting to improve and I thought yeah good 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 and last time I was in there they're actually writing their stuff down they're actually taking notes without being asked to care Anyway, teachers teaching them. And right halfway through his lesson, he, said, he stops and he points at me and says, Sir, every time you're in here, it's like there's peace. Isn't that cool? He said, can you keep coming every week? It seems like these guys are all peaceful when you're in here. It's the power of God. The week before that, I was actually in the vice principal's office, for good reasons. And, uh, and um, she's, she had a few hassles and she's just sharing with me something. She begins to cry. And she turns around and says, why is it that every time you walk into this office, I feel peace? She's an atheist. We have the power of God with us. In fact, I want to declare that we can actually walk into a room and change the whole atmosphere of that room. Because Christ is with you. He said He'd never leave you. There's a friend that sticks closer than the brother referring to the Holy Spirit. And He tells you things and we have things like words of wisdom and words of knowledge, which which really, I think when Paul actually says our weapons are not carnal, but useful for pulling down strongholds, I actually think you could actually use all of the gifts of the Spirit as a weapon. You walk in there and all of a sudden you've got a word of wisdom you can share with someone, or a word of knowledge, or a prophecy. You could just share with someone. That's the weapon. Do you understand the power that's within you? The power to be able to actually. Bring yourself past you know, defences that people put up or shields and, and get underneath and just begin to be able to minister to them because they actually say, yeah, I'm not doing too well right now. I'm actually broken. And you begin to share with them. Wouldn't it be cool that if every Christian in our churches actually thought, you know what? I have the power of Christ in me. When I walk into my workplace this week, I'm going to declare this God's, enemy, God's area, not the enemies." And I'm going to look for opportunities to drop love bombs on people, to drop wisdom on people, to drop knowledge on people that only God has, and bring peace into places. And by doing so, we bring people around the table of God. Do you understand the power that's within you? Great power. Is there anyone still left of those whom God misses most? to whom I can show kindness for the sake of Jesus. We have an opportunity at Christmas time right here, church. Who's Mephibosheth to you? Is there someone that you would love to show kindness to whom God misses most? Do you understand God's love for that person? This Christmas time, can we just take a moment to try and grasp God's love for that person? Oh, but Rick, they're a terrible person. Yes, he loves them. Oh, Rick, they just cause havoc. Yet, he loves them. Mephibosheth was probably not convenient to get to the palace, considering the culture in which they they lived. It would not have been the greatest opportunity to show the greatness of the kingdom. But David said, no, we need to show kindness. So, do we understand how much God loves them? Second thing is, could we be intentional like Paul was intentional? Why don't you invite someone around for your table over this next two months, where Australia usually sleeps, over the next before we wake up on Australia Day, our day after Australia Day. Have someone sit on the on, on, on around your pool, or in your dining table, go out to dinner down the park or something like that, and get to know people whom God misses most. And yep, they may be broken. Share with them your brokenness. Let them know that, hey, you're just one of us. But don't underestimate the power that is within you. When you're speaking to someone who's going through a really hard time, your words can speak healing over them. If they've got a broken heart, you can bring healing into their life. You can pray for them. (laughs) Talking to a pastor friend of mine, Grant Hobbs, last night. And um, they had a Christmas carol service on their property, which is on King George's Road. It's like the busiest place. And they've got this Christmas carol just right there on the corner. Revival Life Centre, it's called. And this guy comes in and um, a week or so ago, and um, he's an alcoholic who's got real trouble with um, gambling. You know, double banger there. And um, Grant says, Hey, mate, Can I pray with you? He says, no, no way. Why? He says, two weeks ago, you don't remember me, but you prayed for me then that you would stop me from drinking and stop me from alcohol, and I haven't been able to have a drink or place a bet for two weeks. (laughs) Don't don't pray for me anymore. He said, I don't want to go back to those things, but what else could you do in my life? (laughs) Isn't that funny? Grant laughed. Do you understand the power that's in you? You understand that when you abide within Christ, ask whatever you want and He will do it for you. See, when you're abiding in Christ, you know what to pray for. You know to pray His will. So is there any Mephibosheths you know who really need your prayers? Need the power that's in your life? You do understand that the whole idea of uh, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to be my witnesses. You've got witness because you have the power of God. Amen. So have you thought about any Mephibosheths? I've got four that I'm continually praying for now. Hopefully one of them can come around for Christmas. It'll be fun. And um, who knows what next year might present. That healing might be brought to their life and maybe they might find the beautiful love of God and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Who knows? But our job is to show the love of God. Amen? Let's all stand. I want to pray for you. Father God, you're amazing. Come on, just with our hearts, can we just praise him and worship him just with our hearts right now? His love for you will never wane. His love for you is unconditional. You can come boldly into His throne room, Father. Thank you for accepting us, for giving us, and loving us. I thank you for these people, your church. Lord, that we sit around your table on a regular basis, and we love it, and we're welcome. Lord, you you descended in the greatness, Jesus, and you showed us what it's like. And your servant Paul wrote, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Would you help us with that? Lord, would you help us understand what it means to descend into greatness? We don't want to be a great church for our own sake. We want to be a great church for those whom you miss most. That they see something great. That they want to be part of something greater. Would you help us be that great church? I thank you for the love that this place shows. I thank you for the the beautiful feel and peace in this in this church. But Lord, I pray that each one of us would take us to it, take that to our tables. And that we will see many people come and sit around the table this summer. As we celebrate the birth of the Saviour King, Lord, we love you. Now, Holy Spirit, would you just draw people to our minds? Holy Spirit, would you help us to see those whom God misses most? Maybe they're relatives. Maybe they're neighbours. Maybe they're the person you work with or go to school with. Maybe they're just that person you just ran into one day. Oh, Lord, would you help us to be intentional? Give us a path forward, opportunities to invite them to a table. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the power that is within us. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless your church. Thanks, Cam. Over to you. Thank you, Pastor Rick. I think that deserves a round of applause. Doesn't.